Welcome to the Cubic Report podcast. Today we have leadership development influencer Greg Thomas back on our podcast. Greg is a leadership consultant, author, keynote speaker, and coach whom I have known for many years. We have been discussing his book, Making Life's Puzzle Pieces Fit, Using the 12 Principles of Personal Leadership. As a reminder, you can learn more about Greg's training skills on his YouTube site. Simply type in Leadership Excellence, one word, Leadership Excellence, on the YouTube homepage search bar, and you will find him. So, Greg, in the previous four podcasts that we have done together on leadership development, we have covered the importance of personal leadership and discussed the first 11 of the 12 principles of personal leadership from your book. Now, if anyone listening has missed these valuable discussions, I encourage you strongly to go back and listen to the previous podcast. So, Greg, in this episode of The Cubic Report, let's discuss the 12th and final principle together. I feel it's an important one, if not the most important one, that puts this entire puzzle together and makes it look like a full image. So please give us a foundation of why you included this in your book. Well, thank you, Vic. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it very much. Mark Twain once said that the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why. The only way that we can find out why we were born is to embrace our spirituality. It's a a topic, this is my favorite topic, and it's a topic that I think helps to pull together the other 11 pieces, as you just mentioned. And so I'd like to give you a little bit of a background. We we all know what IQ is. That's, um, it's a test to assess human intelligence. It's our intelligence quotient. So we know what physically an (laughs) IQ test is. What we may not know and what many people don't understand is that there's also a spiritual quotient called SQ and then gives us a non-physical aspect of reality. And what embracing your spirituality helps you to understand is to get the most out of life. You need both. You need IQ and you also need SQ. SQ provides a stereoscopic dimension to life and to our existence. And I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but everything in life has an expanded perspective and meaning, including the purpose of tragedy and personal loss. When we embrace our spirituality and we discover that there's more to life than just what we see through our physical features or our physical ability. Spirituality honors forces or a presence greater than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this is historically led some remarkable people to achieve life-changing events, political freedoms, medical breakthroughs, scientific discoveries. Many of those have come from people who embraced their spirituality. Now, they may not have been locked into a particular dogma or church, but they were very spiritual people and we'll discuss a little bit more about this, what this means in just a few minutes. It, uh, it changes all of the other 11 principles because it gives them a deeper and richer meaning. meaning. Um, and it also ends up changing our values. Unfortunately, this topic is not politically correct today, and many people 
are embarrassed by an admission of their religious beliefs and their spirituality. And I think that's all the more reason that this needs to be openly discussed with what we're, we're going to say today. Mm-hmm. I'd like to begin with a couple of analogies to emphasize the importance of embracing spirituality. The first analogy is with sound. We all appreciate good stereo, and we prefer stereo over monophonic sound because it only has a single source. Whereas when you listen to something in stereo, that adds depth, it adds direction and increased perception to our physical senses. It's a deeper, a richer form of sound. And having a relationship with God adds a spiritual dimension. It, it puts our life into stereo because without it, we experience life only in one dimension with our limited physical uh, senses. Now, some of what I'm going to say today is mentioned in my book. It's actually, uh, and I, I believe in giving credit where credit is due. A lot of the information that I got in the book is from another book written by a gentleman named Michael Gillen. He has a PhD in physics, math, astronomy from Cornell University. He taught physics at Harvard University. I first became aware of him many years ago. He was an ABC News correspondent for 14 years. And Mm -hmm. the book is entitled, Can a Smart Person Believe in God? So I want to give him the credit for coming up with this concept of a spiritual quotient. So I'll introduce another analogy, the human eye. In a process known as stereopsis, the human brain pools together two flat one-dimensional images from each eye. So each eye sees a separate image. It then converges these images into unison to enhance our vision. And that's what gives us depth perception. So even though our eyes are positioned differently on opposite sides of our head, both eyes combined are able to observe our world in stereo vision. If we lose sight in one eye or if we just cover one eye, our, we see the world flat, we lose depth perception. So our eyes, our eyes are able to balance different dimensions by working and focusing together. Mm-hmm. And just like sound, the stereosis adds depth and increased perception to our vision. So to truly experience the intensity of our existence in balance and fulfillment, it requires us to have a spiritual perspective. Without it, we go through life half blind because we're only seeing existence from one dimension, and that's with our physical senses. And there's more to reality than meets one eye. So without a spiritual connection, we don't experience our existence in three dimensions. We miss out on an entirely different and added dimension of existence. It's undetectable with the natural carnal human mind. And again, that's why spirituality is so very important. Well, I feel like as we grow up, you know, you talk about uh, two most important days of your life, mm-hmm. of being born and then, you know, coming into a new reality. That's what we really ultimately come into that really matters and something which really gives that depth perception. You, you kind of remind me of going to the eye doctor here not too long ago, getting a new pair of glasses mm-hmm. and, you know, him doing the eye test. You know, he covers one eye and you, you look at things uh, one way, he covers the other eye, then he puts them together. It really is just mm-hmm. an amazing process that we don't think of that is automatically done. 
And I believe that in life, the principles that you brought out, the first 11, combined with this 12th principle, uh, produce this stereo, this uh, in sound and a fullness in video. Yeah. And again, again talking about God, and, and I, as I say in the book, I am a Christian is the form of belief that I particularly have, and I uh, have, have been a Christian since I was a teenager. But the purpose of this is not to emphasize any particular church name or organization or dogma. It's to encourage people, especially people who don't understand the need for spirituality, to seek to make the effort in their lives to seek spirituality and understand that there's an entirely missing dimension in their lives. Sadly, we have a lot of misconceptions about God here in our Western world. We've degraded the awesome God, a very superior being, the one revealed in Scripture, and we have distorted who and what he is. And if we don't embrace our spirituality and make an effort to have a relationship with that supreme being, then we have very contradictory choices to make. And we've emphasized earlier about the importance of choice. So we either believe in a God, a supreme superior being, or we end up believing in human philosophies. And of course, these philosophies all contradict one another. Uh, some come into style for a while and then they fade from a human attraction or understanding. We either believe that we have a purpose and that purpose re is revealed to us uh, spiritually, or we believe in randomness. We believe that the purpose of existence is really unknown. We either, embracing our spirituality, believe that there are consistent values, values of love and the way we should treat other human beings, and values of the way we should love God, or we're going to end up believing in ever-changing values, and the values of 1960 will be different than the values of 2000, and it'll be different than the values of 2021, and in 2040, like all previous generations, in 2040, they'll look back and sneer at previous generations and their, quote, outdated values. So when you embrace your spirituality, you have consistent values throughout your lifetime, if you don't do that, you end up in a world of ever-changing values. You know, in a world where people believe in everything is random, how could morality ever you know, form itself? It, it simply couldn't. Uh, there is a right and a wrong. There are natural laws. And I do honestly believe that there's a yearning in every person, in every person for something greater than themselves. It's an interesting fact that m more than half of atheists actually pray. <laughs> Not sure who they pray to or why they pray, but atheists do pray. And they can make statements like a little prayer for you. In a sense, they're inviting or they're hoping for or grasping for some type of essence beyond just the human essence. And, and I do mm -hmm. feel they want it to be more than just a cyclops, you know, where they see things one way. They're looking for that, that that they can't understand or has been clouded to them or that they are resisting. And and I feel like adding this 12th principle is adding something which is extremely valuable because it's adding those unchangeable principles, as some found naturally in nature, and adding a dimension of a greater mind that did create them. Absolutely. There's, there's an old army saying, too, that there are no atheists in the foxhole. <laughs> 
Uh, meaning that when you're under the gun and your life is threatened, it's mm-hmm. amazing how many people who proclaim not to believe in God suddenly start praying right. and uh, have a newfound faith uh, when they feel their lives are threatened. Mm-hmm. So getting back to these choices, again, when we embrace our spirituality, we understand that there is an owner's manual. Anything virtually you buy today comes with an owner's manual, and that explains how you use that product or service and get the most out of it and how not to abuse it, I might add. And the same is true in life. We've been given scriptures. That's the owner's manual uh, spiritually, uh, the owner's manual from God. The contrast of that, if you don't have an owner's manual, is you're going through life following human opinions, contradictory ideas, because, again, a lot of human values are just uh, transitory. They're here today, gone tomorrow, and you end up uh, floating through life without any real direction or understanding what you're supposed to be doing. When you embrace your spirituality, it gives you a confidence and faith that transcends your mere human existence. You even look at death differently. If you don't do that, uh, if you're part of a group who believe in just human philosophy and randomness, then you can only assume that your death most likely means the end of your existence. And, uh, you know, a old song said, what's it all about, Elfie? Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's the end of your existence, then that doesn't give you a confidence in having a purpose or a reason for being. And when you embrace your spirituality, you have a life that's filled with meaning and purpose in contrast to a life that's void of meaning and any real purpose. So those are the two possible choices, and embracing your spirituality gives you a deeper level of confidence, of faith of determination, of purpose, as you see into the future and know that you have a relationship with the very being that created the earth. You know, Greg, I you mentioned that you've been a Christian since your teen years. And, mm-hmm. and I can share that with you, too, because I feel like I had found something. You know, I had been part of a major denomination, and then I found a very special relationship that I had with Jesus Christ and with God that I feel that really began to affect everything that I did. It affected the career that I went into. It affected the way I treated people. It affected the kind of work that I was going into. It affected doing things that have meaning rather than doing just silly things or wasting time. And I know that that spiritual element is not just something that fits your job, but it fits your behavior. I too. Actually, I I grew up in the Methodist church and I left it as an early teen, uh, surprisingly, and I say this tongue-in-cheek because it was becoming so progressive and beginning to deny those values that that I personally believed in. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because, sadly, the Methodist Church today is going through some major splits, particularly in the South, where hundreds of their churches are breaking off from the main body because of uh, issues over same-sex marriage. But, uh, you know, I left the faith of my childhood because much like yourself, I discovered something that was, uh, I believed, far more biblical, far more rewarding that literally guided and directed my entire life. Mm -hmm. So that's what spirituality can do for an individual. You know, you and I are two examples of many whose lives were forever changed 
by uh, discovering their spirituality and taking the next step and acting upon it. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a creator, and I, I wanted to talk about um, whether, just take a few minutes, whether there's a creator or whether we're all here by blind chance, mm-hmm. because you can't talk about God, a supreme being, without also touching upon evolution. So I would like to just express my take on evolution. Of course, anyone who studies it knows there's really two terms for evolution. There's microevolution. That's simply a change in gene frequency in a short period of time, sometimes within a single generation. And examples are an antibiotic resistance or the size of something or the colors can change. And then there's the far more controversial part called macroevolution. And this is evolution that results in relatively large and complex changes, as in the formation of a brand new species that never existed before. And within the world of creationism and evolutionists, this is the part that is so uh, controversial. But I'd like to put my spin on whether evolution is a theory or whether it's something that can be proven. Mm -hmm. If you were a scientist or you were studying biology, Vic, you would use something called the scientific method. It's a logical problem-solving approach used by biologists and many other scientists, and it follows five basic steps and then there's one feedback step. And here it is. Number one is make an observation. Number two is ask a question about that observation. Number three is that you would then form a hypothesis or a testable explanation to that question and that observation. And then number four is you'd make a prediction based on the hypothesis. Well, so far you haven't proven anything. Number five is you have to test the prediction. Mm -hmm. And then number six is iterate, meaning you have to repeat again So just testing it once and seeming to be successful isn't enough. You have to be able to repeat it over and over again for it to be true, right? Or you have to change your hypothesis and your prediction. So according to scientists, their own established scientific method, which any professional and legitimate scientist would follow, in order to support a hypothesis like evolution, you must be able to test it. You must be able to repeat it in nature or a laboratory. If you can't duplicate or repeat it, then the hypothesis is invalid. So what do the brightest and the best evolutionary scientists physicists, academic educators believe about the ability to repeat, test, or duplicate macroevolution in the universe. All right? So the theory of macroevolution is that life on Earth came from randomness or chance. All right, I'm going to quote to you something from NBC News in an article called 0.8 billion habitable Earth-sized planets exist in the Milky Way. Here's it says, I'm going to quote it. A study finds the Milky Way is teeming with billions of planets that are about the size of Earth, orbit stars just like our sun, and exist in the Goldilocks zone, not too hot or too cold for life. Astronomers using NASA data have calculated for the first time that in our galaxy alone, there are at least 8.8 billion stars with Earth-like planets in the habitable 
temperature zone. So let me ask you this question. I'll, I'll ask anyone this question. With all of these Goldilocks planets and all of these Earth-sized planets in habitable temperature zones, what has the Hubble telescope revealed, the James Webb telescope revealed out in space? You know how much life there is out there? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Professor Brian Cox, he's not well known here in the United States, is actually very popular on a lot of BBC shows in England. He's an English physicist and a professor of particle physics at the School of Physics and Astronomy in the University of Manchester, and he believes in evolution. But here's some things that he said that are interesting. Again, I'm going to quote. Quote, the biological process which led to intelligent life on Earth was a fluke that is unlikely to been been repeated anywhere else in the universe. Well, so much for the scientific method. Mm -hmm. If you can't repeat it, if you can't duplicate it, then it's an invalid method. But here's some other information from just the Internet. It says the universe has 100 to 200 billion galaxies. It says the universe is filled with around 10 to the 25 power planets that orbit stars. Here's the other statement from Professor Cox that I, I wanted to read. There's only one advanced technological civilization in this galaxy, and there has only ever been one, and that's us. We are unique. So again, you, if you can't duplicate it, if it's something that you could duplicate, if it's something that's a result of randomness, then why not on all of these 100 to 200 billion galaxies has it never happened again in a universe with the 10 to the 25, 25th power planets that orbit stars in our universe? How come it has never been repeated? It's amazing that that repetition is just only a part of it, of being able to repeat it. It's the complexity of life, the interaction of life, of the fact that we as human beings could not exist with all other types of support from animals, from fauna and flora, from radiation, from the sun. I mean, there are so many things even beyond the Goldilocks zone that have been mm -hmm. created, amazing scientific engineering in the animal world that just blows your mind, if I can put it that way, was a designer, was somebody who uh, intelligently designed what we have. A couple of other quotes for you. This one from uh, Penn State Science. This is from their website, science.psu.edu. This is an article from 2015, so it's a little bit dated. It says, after searching 100,000 galaxies, and that's the part that's probably outdated, it probably searched more, Anyway, it said 100,000 galaxies for signs of highly advanced extraterrestrial life. A team of scientists using observation from NASA's WISE Orbiting Observatory has found no evidence of advanced civilizations in them. Here's what uh, Professor Jason Wright said in this article. And again, I'll quote him. He said, that's interesting because these galaxies are billions of years old, which should have been plenty of time for them to have been filled with alien civilizations if they exist either they don't exist or they don't yet use enough energy for us to recognize them mm -hmm. i find that startling well it's amazing how 
intelligent scientists, and they are very intelligent, believe me, they are very learned, they go through rigorous education, but they come up with speculations that really are uh, very strange. Yeah, they are strange indeed. So again, as this professor says, billions of years old, yet not in a single one of them has evolution ever occurred. Mm-hmm. So if it needs to be repeatable to fit the t- scientific method, the theory of macroevolution does not have a single example in the universe. You can create all kinds of speculation on how it happened on Earth, but yet it has not been repeated. The Earth is truly unique for a purpose, and the theory fails the scientific method. That says it is it is not repeatable anywhere else in the observable universe. But that doesn't seem to stop those who are agnostic or atheistic in their in their thinking. Uh, it seems that we have come to a point in the development of civilization to we have immense knowledge. We had the Hubble, then we have the James Webb, which is a thousand mm-hmm. times more powerful than the Hubble. And we were finding out just amazing things even about the structure of nothingness in the universe and black holes and uh, other phenomenon. That doesn't seem to phase any one of us, many mortals who should really know better, that where is this coming from? How did it develop more than just it just plain happened? Yes, and that's the result of lacking spirituality and people just looking for answers within the single dimension of life of this physical world and trying to answer the why and trying to find out the purpose of our existence, lacking any sense of spirituality that's ultimately uh, what we lead to. Maybe up to this point, maybe we could just have where, what, how you do you define this spirituality as we go further? You know, how, how does one kind of get their hands on it and say, is it something which is beyond us? Or, or what is it? Well, that's an excellent question. As, as I define spirituality in the book, spirituality is a connection and seeking a connection with the creator of the universe. And it goes beyond uh, church organizational names or churches or dogmas. It is a personal relationship that you develop through desiring to know the creator of the universe and the tools that you use of course are prayer and meditation the tools that you would use are studying his word to understand that he has has requirements for us that he's a god of organization he's a god of laws he's a god of purpose and taking the effort and making the effort to study the scripture so that we understand what his laws are We begin living by those laws because observing those laws provide a great degree of happiness and joy. Violating those laws long term always result in pain and sorrow. So, uh, again, spirituality is not going is not just simply going to church somewhere uh, one day a week. Uh, It's not simply proclaiming to believe in something or be part of a faith because uh, our parents were that faith or because it's convenient to answer on a survey. It is truly making an effort and having a relationship with the God of the universe, making a spiritual connection through uh, prayer, through meditation, through thought, through the study of the owner's manual, 
and these are the things that would bring us to the point of discovering him and being able to take our existence to another level. Well, that's where I find that my spirituality came to a great leap. I mean, I was mm -hmm. part of the Orthodox Church, and it was very, very uh, formal. And while I knew what certain things were said and taught, they were never very personal. Even prayers weren't personal. They were read from a book. But there came a point at which I felt like I really was talking to the one who created the universe, the, our solar system that created our lives. I was talking to that being, and that being was responding to me. And I feel, as I look back at my life, I see mm -hmm. where he's been there time and time again and has been with me, has guided me, has protected me, has, has given me so much. And that's where I feel that this is not a testimonial you know, of my life, but I'm just saying is that that spirituality has been translated into more than just facts. It, it's been a relationship, a friendship. Yeah, I, I relay a story in the, the book. I know not everyone will buy the book or read it, but I relay a story in 1999 how my family and I went to a religious convention in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And on one of the days, we decided to take a side trip to Washington, D.C. I'd always wanted to see the Vietnam uh, Veterans Memorial. And of course, it's shaped like, uh, you know, long letter V and on it are, uh, are written 58,260 names of the men and women who lost their lives as a result of the Vietnam conflict. And in the book, I relate how I was walking down one of these V-shaped marble walls and just running my hand as I was talking and walking along the names because I noticed other people would take a piece of paper and they would use a pencil and just kind of embed that person's name from the marble onto the paper, probably a loved one or someone they knew. So I'm walking along here and I was talking to a friend of mine whose name was a late friend of mine, Tim Swope. And we were just chatting and I wasn't even looking at the wall. I'm just walking down there, dragging my finger across it. And arbitrarily, I stopped to make a point to Tim and when I did, his eyes literally bulged out of his head. And he said to me, stop a minute and take a look at the name above your fingers. And I'm still talking. I was, you know, waxing eloquent about something I don't even remember. And then he said kind of firmly, he said, please, please stop talking and look at the name above your fingers. And I turned around and the name exactly above my fingers was Gregory Thomas. Mm. And for me, that was a spiritual moment. Here's what I took away from that. I took away from that, that I was created and I was created and put on earth here for a purpose and for a reason. And except for the grace of God, that could have been me on that wall. That could have been me, Gregory Thomas, on that wall. But I was born a few years too late to be drafted into the Vietnam War, and God had a different purpose for this Gregory Thomas mm -hmm. than he had for that Gregory Thomas. So think about the odds of walking down a wall that has 58,260 names embedded on it and stopping while you're not even looking at the wall and stopping and what is above your fingers is your name. Mm -hmm. So again, for me, 
that was a very spiritual moment. It was a humbling moment in which I realized that I had a God who loved me and I got a God who had a specific personal plan for my life that was different than everyone else's, including that uh, Gregory Thomas. So we all go through these experiences which help us to appreciate and understand that we have that connection, that our lives have meaning and purpose beyond this mere physical life. You know, Greg, if I could just say one more thing here. My wife and I went to that memorial and we found her brother-in-law's name on the wall. He died in Vietnam. He was killed just a few days before he was to return back to the United States. Oh my. And so we did the same thing. We took out a piece of paper and you know, inscribed his name or you know, traced it uh, onto that paper and we brought it home here. The God does have a plan for those people as well, but that's another subject. God mm -hmm. has a plan sure. for everyone. I'd like to also talk about another wall, which names were found. Yeah. Just last uh, uh, summer, I went to uh, Ellis Island in uh, New York City. That's the place where our family came in as refugees from World War II. Mm. And mm -hmm. on the wall of honor, they had the name, the Cubic family, and they had my name separately as Victor Cubic because I was, oh, wow. I was uh, an entity that was uh, separate, you know, from my parents. And mm -hmm. to me, that was very, very sobering to see my name on that wall. When I think of all the refugees that didn't make it, and here my name was on the wall of honor. It was a very emotional moment. Oh, absolutely. So from this point on, Vic, uh, what I'd like to do in the remaining time that we have left is just briefly mention how this 12th principle brings together a complete picture by just mentioning it in its influence with the other 11 principles. So in principle number one, the right visionary goals, we begin to see and understand that an added dimension of spirituality gives our goals a long-term perspective extending into eternity. So the goals that we're accomplishing now, the things that we're changing within ourselves, the new talents that we're developing, the things that we're doing to expand our minds are going to have value and benefit just beyond this physical lifetime. And then we go to continuous education. And we realize that what we learn through good choices and making bad decisions is preserved and it carries us over to a higher level of existence. We learn from our mistakes. So our physical existence becomes a constant learning environment. And it's the beginning of a chapter of a book that is intended to last for eternity. So even our mistakes, which we make, end up having value in purpose if we're learning from them, if we're learning not to repeat them, if we're learning through the process of trial and error in our lives, that is preparing us for existence at a higher level. So continuous education uh, goes on and on. Uh, maintaining our health, we realize that having our body is a gift. It's a physical temple. We've been given a temporary stewardship over it. So therefore, being a steward, we should make sure that we're getting enough rest, that we're eating a balanced diet, we're getting exercise, we're maintaining the gift of this temple that we've been given. In driving forward, when you have a, a spiritual, religious faith, like many others who have gone before us, uh, when problems arise and other people abandon or attack 
a valuable cause because they lack spirituality, you have the drive to go forward even against overwhelming odds and adversity. You continue because it's the right thing to do, because it's the right value, no matter what adversity, no matter what the odds are, that spirituality gives you the ability to drive forward harder and more determined than ever before. Principle number five was utilizing your resources. Well, you tap into a whole new resource, and that is a spiritual world, a spiritual essence that goes beyond the physical. So our thinking transcends the physical senses, and our imagination can begin to grasp things that it never could before because of our conviction. Principle number six is dealing with disappointments. We come to realize that things happen for a reason, even terrible things. And if we have the right perspective, we can glean wisdom and maturity from all life experiences. I happen to believe that when you make that spiritual connection from that point on, everything in your life has meaning and purpose. The good times, the bad times, the joys, and the sorrows, nothing is by accident. It's all preparing you, it's all getting you ready to exist at another plane, to be able to serve, to be able to have a greater sense of awareness, of respecting those laws and values which are revealed in God's word. And it's a preparation for an eternity that lies ahead of you. And then number seven is living a life in balance and with spirituality when it's your guiding force. You come to realize that you can have a great amount of control in your life because you now have connection with a being who can intervene on your behalf. You receive additional help. It may be unseen by, by human eyes, but unseen physical help and spiritual help when it's truly needed throughout your lifetime. Principle number eight are simple diversions, and our spirituality reminds us that we need to stop occasionally. I observe, a, as I mentioned in my book, I observe a 24-hour Sabbath, but to stop and get, off the rat, get out of the rat race for a day, get off the merry-go-round of this world, and spend time in uh, spiritual pursuits, worship, fellowshipping with people of life like mine, spending time with family, getting the physical rest that you need, that that's very important. It's a simple diversion that doesn't cost you anything, but it helps you to maintain, it helps you to maintain that relationship with the creator of the universe. And number nine are meaningful relationships. Our most meaningful relationship should be with that supreme creator God who made the universe and made us, and of course our immediate family, and beyond that our friends and our associates, and that these relationships are meant to last more than this mere lifetime. They're meant to last for an eternity. Number 10 is know yourself, reminds us the spirituality that there are laws that regulate our conduct. And again, as I said earlier, if we break those laws, we suffer the consequences. It teaches us to be humble, to listen to criticism, to use it to reinvent ourselves into becoming better people. It also helps us to do a routine self-analysis that introduces us to new 
concepts that I never knew before until I tapped into my spirituality, like repentance and reconciliation and forgiveness and grace. These are all spiritual terms, but they have profound meaning that you appreciate when you begin to live by them due to embracing your spirituality. And number 11 is being passionately positive. Spirituality makes even mundane everyday events significant because they end up being part of an overall plan. There is no boring day. Everything that you're going through, everything that you're learning, everything that you're experiencing has a purpose and is part of an overall greater plan. Again, even our mistakes are viewed as chances to relearn, say, I don't think I'm going to do that again, to relearn and to do better next time to change ourselves. So uh, when you know that you're loved and you're accepted by the creator God of the universe, you feel like you can accomplish anything. It gives you a passionately positive approach towards life because you now feel like you have a deeper sense of purpose and awareness than you ever had before. So that's how it enlivens and helps pull together the uh, other 11 puzzle pieces. Well, truly, it's, this book has been marvelous. And just reading the chapters, and especially reading this last one, it really does complete the puzzle. You talk about making life's puzzle pieces fit. Well, this last one completes the puzzle to where we can see the whole picture if you have mm-hmm. eyes to see. So. It's something as a book that's so useful for the here and also for the hereafter. It's really an amazing book. And I would like to encourage anyone uh, who would like to, to order the book from Amazon. Uh, you, you can go to Amazon and Making Life's Puzzle Pieces Fit. Just type that in along with Greg L. Thomas. Make sure to get the L in there because there are other Greg Thomases. And also his other book, 52 Leadership Tips, is available on Amazon. So that's the place we could get them. And I'd like to repeat again to go to the YouTube channel, Greg's YouTube channel, and type in Leadership Excellence, one word, and you can be connected to his YouTube. Yeah, well, thank you, Vic. I appreciate your invitation and uh, spending all this time talking about uh, personal leadership. I hope you'll have me back after the first of the year, there are so many other aspects of leadership we can talk about, like uh, servant leadership, tr- uh, stewardship, and so many other aspects of leadership that I would be happy to uh, discuss with you in future podcasts. Oh, I would be delighted to be able to have intermittent uh, Greg Thomas every three or four podcasts <laughs> <laughs> be the sort of the program that that you know people look to. I mean, I have had many many comments from people who have said that's very very useful. And we've had some very knowledgeable people, and you're so knowledgeable in this area. We do appreciate that very much. Thank you, Vic. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocket Caster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com. 
vkubik at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.